Um, and so we're going to just touch a few points and move on because there's no way we can get through those two. All right, let's go to God in word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we praise your holy divine name and thank you for your kindness and for your compassion, for your mercy and for your care and for your love and for waking us from beds of slumber and allowing us to assemble to worship and to study your word. Please guide us into all truth and help us to leave this morning enriched from the reading of your word. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be that will. Amen. So Philippians 1 and 2 lead us up to chapter 3. Chapter 2 really emphasized being like Jesus, right? Now we're in chapter 3, and Paul's talking about his life and growing up, if you will, and why he is so important um, in the gospel, but the reality to Paul is that he's not important at all, right? He looks at this this resume, if you will, about himself, beginning of verse 4, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, um, if anyone else is, has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And so he, he does this in Corinthians as well. He says, you know, I'm being foolish right now, but follow along with me as I'm just trying to show you that no one can put confidence in the flesh. So he's talking to the Jewish Christians now who are disrupting God's work by saying, we are more of a Christian than you. Which is interesting, right? How someone can think that. But anyway, because we've been circumcised, because we have this fleshly relationship with the Lord, and what they missed is it's about the spiritual, right? It's about the spiritual. The Old Testament led us to Christ. The New Testament is the reality, right? And so... Here he is, he goes on in this, this confidence that is meaningless, even in his own mind. I want to look back at verse 2 quickly. I know we read this last week. Beware of the dogs, uh, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. So, false circumcision, meaning they had a circumcision in the flesh, but not of the heart. Right? And that's what the Jews uh, had a big struggle with. And when the Christians came along, and even, you know, when Jesus comes along and he brings us Christ, uh, they had a false understanding of God. And so here, Paul is correcting this understanding, and he starts going into this um, information, you know, process, if you will, in this resume. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So you can imagine him, you know, he could put this plaque on the wall, uh, he could walk into the Sanhedrin, and he could say, here I am, I'm Paul, right? Paul the Great, the Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm, I mean, I am what a Pharisee, or if you will, I am what a Jew is really all about. And then he says, but the reality is this, it's meaningless, Right? When it comes to Christ. And that's important. I think that's a great um, indicator for us as Christians. That it doesn't matter how many degrees we have. Or how much of this we have. Or how much of that we have. It's all meaningless when it comes to Christ. We're all equal when it comes to Christ. And that is an amazing um, and powerful idea. 
because you can imagine in James in chapter 2 when he's writing to the church and he gives this kind of interesting thought that rich man comes in, you put him in the front. Poor man comes in, you put him in the back. James says, no, that's not how we do this. We treat, we treat everyone the same. And so imagine the rich man uh, in the congregation is the boss of some of the members, but some of the members, the poor, are the elders and deacons in the church. How's that work out, right? You know, that's not an American congregation. But anyway, right? How's that work out, right? And so the idea, the understanding that all of this is meaningless in verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And so the focus has to be on Jesus, right? It can never be on, you know, worldly things. It has to be on Jesus, number one. Everything else just falls into place. Okay. So look at the goal. We talked last week or the week before about having spiritual goals. In verse 8, the goal. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of. So now he's comparing, right? In view of the surpassing, um, the value of knowledge, excuse me. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So let's think about that for a moment. So what exactly did he lose? All right? Status. Right? He lost his status. So he lost of being a person that was, you know, amongst the, the Pharisees. And though he was a persecutor of the church, Paul was, Saul was really important and really valuable to the Jews. But it meant nothing because it really means nothing. Right? It really, really doesn't. And so he said, I count, I count it all loss. I count those things as loss for Jesus as being something that's worth being lost. I've written down some things here. Paul's goal and aim is to know whom? Christ, right? Is that our goal? Yes, to know Jesus. To know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we're aiming for. And so... None of the things that Paul mentions about being a Jew really mean much. All that matters is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. And that's what our lives are supposed to look like. All that matters is Jesus. Everything else falls into place when Jesus is number one. Right? It, it makes you a great father. It makes you a great mother, a great grandparent. It makes you a great Christian. It makes you a great person when Jesus is number one. And here's what he gained. He gained the knowledge that could not be taken away. So imagine the Romans, they can take your life, but they can't take your knowledge. Right? They can't take what you know to be true, and that is Jesus, by his living and by his death and by his resurrection, has justified his people. You can't take that, right? So now you're about to, you're on the, you know, I hate to say it in this way, but you're on the chalking block and you're about to be executed and you can remember that you have been justified and you have been sanctified. And so when you go to your death, there's more purpose, if you will, that God was truly through the Roman Empire sending me home early and I'm justified by the grace of Jesus, by the grace of God. That means we're going to be all right, right? And that's what the Romans, they were so mesmerized at that. They thought, why are these people willing to die for this king that we executed 
aren't we more powerful? Look at our gods. And they had it mixed up. They didn't understand. Some of them did later, uh, as Paul is writing this prison epistle and converting the Romans, right? Even some of the uh, guards. But Jesus was all that matters and put everything in the proper perspective. And so it was worth the pain and suffering that they would go through. And isn't that kind of what it really is when it comes to death? If we knew that becoming a Christian, uh, you go to the Roman Empire and they, you know, you're going to die, but there'll be no pain. Because God's going to remove all pain. Death isn't such a big deal then, right? Because you know where we're going. In faith, right? By faith. But it's the pain of it, you know. Are they going to stick me, uh, you know, into a, stick me rather, into a, a pit with lions? Are they going to stab me with a sword? What are they going to do when they kill me? Jesus gave an example of holding fast, right? Holding fast of how we're supposed to live our lives. Paul was an apostle. But notice when he opens his letters up, he's always a servant first. Paul the bond servant. See, it doesn't really matter what our status is in life. What matters is we are servants of Jesus. We are servants of God. That's the most important thing. Paul the bond servant. Timothy a servant. Epaphroditus a servant. You just go through the list. We're all servants in Jesus Christ. Though he's an apostle, that too is not so important. Being a servant of Christ is what's important. And then the, the last thought on that is there's a, there's a hope of this resurrection. The resurrection was introduced in the Old Testament, right? God showed us resurrection so that when it comes to the New Testament and Jesus preaches about the resurrection, it's almost as if when, when things aren't really going your way, meaning the, the Jews, you forget about what is in the Bible. You know, what was in the Septuagint, what was in the Old Testament uh, Hebrew writings. There were resurrections. And Jesus said, I'm going to die, be buried, and raised. They're like, no way. They're like, well, didn't you read your old book? And that's why it's so important that we read the old book, right? And read the new book so that we'll have a good understanding of what it is that God's trying to tell us and what it is that God wants us to know. There is a resurrection, right? Jesus rising from the dead is not some amazing thing, although it is, but it's not an amazing thing that's never happened before except he never died again. Right? He came back and still lived and, and went on. Um, he was able to live and die. He was able to die and live. Right? Jesus. So it was very unique. But in the Old Testament, you have these resurrections that we're reading about that uh, people did come up from the grave. Why was it such a big deal that Jesus would rise from the dead? Well, the Pharisees made it that way. Right? The persecution made it that way. So, here you look back at your old book, you grow, and Paul says, I've got to tell you that what's important is not uh, what, you, what you've been through, but what you know. That's what's important. Because when you are tired and you, you don't want to come to worship, it's what you know that's going to get you out of bed. <laughs> I'm accountable to God, right? <laughs> I better get up, right? Who do you know? Who, who is it that is trying to keep us in the bed. Satan, right? Yeah, he doesn't want us to come and worship God. Every Sunday, he, he, every day we wake up and serve God, uh, he, he doesn't like that. But we're going to keep going and serving God because of what we know, right? So then Paul goes on in verse 9, and that he may be found. They may be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own 
derived from the law. We read that in the, the book of Romans when they had a law or, or a righteousness of their own without knowledge. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Again, knowledge. They can't take that from you, right? Romans can't take that. Men, men cannot take that from you. And that's what you hold on to, right? That's what we're holding on to in our life, in our relationship with God. That what's important and what is critical is what we know. What we know to be true. They were fighting this because Gnosticism was around, right? This false knowledge and docetism. And you read about that in First John and some of the letters later on. You're reading about where they're saying Jesus didn't really die on the cross. You know, kind of one of the interesting ones, I think it's in docetism, that um, Jesus was on the cross, yeah, but then they substituted him. <laughs> what? You know, how did you... The Romans are watching him die. How is that possible? But docetism came with this idea, all because uh, these folks in those days wanted to continue in idolatry, right? They wanted to do what, what the Jews used to do. Um, they, were, they were worshipers of idol gods and worshipers of God. And God says, no, you can only worship one God, right? And they couldn't let that go. But Paul is saying that there's something you need to remember, and that is your faith what you know to be true. And your faith is built on what? Evidence, right? Not a blind leap. It's evidence. So you can look back into your past and you can say, this is what I know about God. You can look back into your book and you can read the Bible and say, this is what I know about God and no one can take that from you. And you got to hold on to that, right? When people come along and try to trick you or deceive you into thinking there is no God or that we don't win or whatever it is they're trying to say, Hold on to what you know to be true based on the evidence, right? The evidence, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the evidence, right? It's a conviction based on evidence, not a blind leap. When I first became a Christian, I thought it was, I was actually told that. Well, it's kind of a blind leap. You don't really know, so you just believe it. No, you know, right? Someone says, well, how do you know that God created the heavens and the earth? Because I know you didn't. <laughs> and that's enough evidence for me, right? Um, and I know I didn't as well. Okay, so about that knowledge of the resurrection. Verse, um, verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to that same resurrection that we know, the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes into that struggle that we all go through, and that is, this is something we're striving after, right? Every day we're living for this. What are we living for? We're, we're not there yet, but we're striving for it, right? We're living for the resurrection. We're not there yet. We're not, we haven't reached perfection yet, except in the eyes of Jesus. Doesn't God tell us to be perfect? And whenever you repent, God perfects you, right? So we're not there yet, but we're striving towards it. Verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on. So we're striving for it. I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which is I also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. That pressing, you know, that takes effort. It takes effort to press something, right? So I'm pressing on. I'm willing to make the effort or put forth the effort to be what God wants me to be to do what God wants me to do, I'm going to make the effort. And it's going to be difficult. 
when you press something, you're molding it into something, right? I'm being pressed by God. I'm being molded by God to be this, this individual that God wants me to be. And so Paul says, I am pressing on in Jesus. And then I love the very next verse. I want to talk about this next verse. Brethren, I do not uh, regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So I want to, I want to talk about this for a minute and then we're going to, we're going to, a few more verses, then we'll jump into chapter, chapter four. What is, what is the, the, one of the most difficult things that we face when we become a Christian and we, we find ourselves around people that knew us growing up? <laughs> Good. Okay. I got the laugh. I appreciate that. Right. It's kind of what Jesus said. A prophet's not without honor except within his own hometown. And right, they're like, I knew you when you were growing up. Don't tell me you're a Christian. I've been justified, sir. What does that even mean, right? I've been sanctified. I'm a different person. You're not different. You look the same. I know. I get it, right? But Paul, with the church, again, we, we talked about this last week, a persecutor of the church. And you can imagine, uh, and I want to just reemphasize this, going into a church building or, or a place where they're, they're meeting, uh, a home or wherever it is they are, and some of those people you persecuted are there. The mamas and daddies and grandparents. And, and you walk in there and um, you, you remember them. And they remember you. What does that do to your ministry? Right? Paul could have walked into that building and said, oh, and then turned around and walked out. But that's, that's not what he did. Right? Paul says, I, I've forgotten what, what lies behind. Not just the successful things in the sense of being a Pharisee and all those things in their eyes, right? But a persecutor of the church. Paul says, I, I have to be able to reach forward instead of holding on to my past. I have to be able to let that stuff go or allow it to be a stepping stone. If you think about it, all the things, this is really interesting. If you really think about it, everything you've been through helped lead you to Christ. Even the bad stuff. So wait a minute. What do you mean? Well, that's who you are. You can't change who you are. I mean, you can change who you are in the sense of how you live your life and what you do and what you think about life. But you can't change what you've done. Right? You can't. So what are you going to do about that? You're going to hold on to that and say, well, you know, I really want to be a preacher, but I can't because there was a time when I... No, you have to, you have to let that stuff go. You know, I really would love to serve in a different capacity in the Lord's work, but I cannot because of. No, absolutely not. Paul says, I let all that go. I let go all the bad stuff. He says, I was, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? If anybody can, you know, take this idea and say, I can't serve Jesus because, Paul says, it's me. But that's not the way Paul lived his life. Paul came to Christ, and then he forgot those things in his past. And why did he do that? What gave him the power? Is he being arrogant? What gave him the power to forget? What gave him the authority to forget? Yeah, all right, God. He believed something. You know what he believed? He believed when God says, when you come to me, your sins and lawless deeds I remember no more. He believed that. Wow, what's wrong with Paul? Why would you believe that, Paul? That's what the Bible says. He believed that. How many of us believe that still to this day? That when you come, to, let's go look at First John real quick. Um, chapter 1, I want to look at verse 7. 
And I know you say, well, preacher, we know. We, we, uh, we've read this a thousand times and we, we believe it. But do we really believe it? Paul forgets what lies behind. That stuff that was holding him back. Let it go. This is how we become better people. Learn how to forgive yourself if you've made it right with God. And I want to repeat that in a second. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Hmm. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So anyone that says they don't have sin is a liar. Interesting. But anyone that says, oh yeah, I, I have sins, is a person that's honoring God. That doesn't sound right, does it? That you're honoring God by admitting you have sin? Well, yeah, that's what it's telling It's telling us to honor God, walk in the light, but admit that you're not perfect, you're pressing on, you have sin, but know at the same time that something's happening all day, every day. And what is that? The cleansing. Isn't that great? Right? You, we could call it that, couldn't we? The cleansing, right? Listen to what it goes on to say. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 8, we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, the next line, I don't know, is it, is it important? But it's in there. He is faithful. Okay, so now we're back to this idea of faith. So when I go to God, I say, God, I really blew it. I'm so sorry. How big of a sin is it? It doesn't say, right? Sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. So, okay, what sin is it? Doesn't matter, does it? God says, if you, verse again, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, it was believe that, right? It didn't say which sin. And we're, not, we're talking to Christians now, right? So when you're outside of Christ, you come to Christ, you're baptized, you're immersed in water, all your sins are washed away, you're made one with Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But now that you're a Christian, you don't, you don't get baptized again. You just ask God to forgive you. Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. And He's faithful and righteous and will. It's done. Right? It's done. So then Paul says, I have this authority or this right to forget what lies behind and press on for the upward call of Christ. I have this God-given right, right? Jesus says, uh, Luke 9 and verse uh, 62. Luke 9 and verse 62. Listen to what Jesus says about, about someone that's living the opposite, a Christian, living the opposite of what Paul's talking about in Philippians as well as... Uh, uh, John and First John. Luke 9 and verse 62. So as you're looking and you're serving Jesus and you, you have some things in your past but they've been forgiven. Verse 62. Jesus says uh, to them or to him no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back right Luke 9 62 is fit for the kingdom of God. So what does God not want us to do? Right? Don't serve Jesus this way. <laughs> right? No, keep pressing forward. Now, the idea of the plow, obviously, if you're, uh, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing when you're making that plow, you don't make that straight line. Right? And once you're all by a little bit, you're all by a lot. So the same way with our, with our Christian lives. If we're all by a little bit, we're going to be all by a lot. 
Stop looking backwards. Keep looking forwards, right? We don't have to look backwards. Unless we're looking backwards maybe to help someone and say, you know, I've been there before. Like, you know, it, yeah, it's a tough, tough spot to be in. You know, but let me tell you how God rescued me. I mean, that's all right, right? You're looking for that reason to be able to help other people. But don't look, don't live backwards. Don't look backwards. Let it go. Learn how to forgive yourself for the things that God has forgiven you of, number one. And secondly, never hold yourself accountable for something God's forgiven you of. If you're forgiven, let it go, right? Why do we hold on to it? In the church, really, you know, I remember um, growing up and, and learning things about Jesus and the church really needs to learn how to forgive and let it go, right? And move on. It's like a person comes on Sunday morning, worship, and he goes forward to repent of some, whatever the sin may be. And then on Sunday evening, he's up there leading prayer. Is that all right? What do you think? Yeah, because Sunday morning, he was the cleanest one probably in the congregation at that moment because he'd been cleansed, right? Uh, of course, do we believe that? Is that how we live our lives in Christ? Is that what we're supposed to be? So back to Paul now. Paul comes into this church building of some sort. And, um, and those people that pers- he persecuted are there. And they go up to him and give him a big old hug. <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss, right? Yeah, hey, how you doing? Jesus is good, right? God is good. Okay, um, back to Philippians chapter 3 because we need to get off of that and get over chapter 4, because chapter 4 then kind of begins to bring us to this understanding, if all this is taken care of, and we're truly God's children, and we're really striving for the resurrection, and it's really going to happen because it's already happened, what are you worried about? Well, in our day we could say, yeah, yeah, exactly, but in their days they'd say, the Romans, and God would say, no, don't worry about the Romans, right? Okay, verse, uh, verse 13, one more time. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal. And this is really important. You have to have spiritual goals in your life. We have to have spiritual goals. Really, true, in-depth spiritual goals. If you don't have spiritual goals, I mean, they'll tell you, it's going to run in a circle, Right? You can, you can run on a treadmill and be in the same spot all day long. You've got to have goals. Where do you want to be? Where are you today? And where do you want to be in, in six months, a year, five years, ten years? We do it in the flesh, you know, regarding business and life. What about your spiritual life, right? I'm pressing on toward the goal. There's a goal. There's a goal I'm reaching toward or for. How do I hit that goal? How do I hit that target? How do I stay away from sin, right? How do I do that? I have a goal. I have a focus and a focal point. And so imagine your favorite sport, but there's no goal, right? You're watching a football game, and the guy runs 100 yards for what? There's no goal, right? He doesn't score anything. He just, he just ran 100 yards, you know? Okay, what was the point? There is no point, right? Uh, so you have to have a goal in life, in Christ. Um, so he's pressing on, pressing forward toward this goal. He's looking at something, right? That's what we have to do. We're not looking backwards. We're looking forward. We're looking at something right we're looking at the goal where our focus is on the goal because there's a prize at the end right crown of life for the righteous for those who stay faithful to jesus but you got to keep your eyes on the goal you have to keep your focus there verse 14 i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus 
Let us therefore as many as are perfect. Oh, see, I'm disqualified. He's not talking to me. No, he is talking to you because you've been forgiven, you see. You, you've done the things that God's asked you to do. And you're asking for forgiveness. And you're walking in the light. And you're asking for forgiveness. And you're walking in the light. And so God justified you, which means he perfected you. Right? So you're reading this letter and you say, oh, wait, he is talking to me or about me. Those who are complete. But I don't have it together yet. No, but in Jesus, you do. Paul says, I've not reached it yet. I'm still striving. And then yet he comes back and says, but don't forget the perfect. I'm talking to the perfect. How can you be the perfect if you haven't gotten there yet? Because you're being perfected by God. Right? And that's what's important. Not that this isn't this, uh, what is it? Uh, they're saying, um, uh, once you're saved by grace, you can't fall from grace. They're not talking about that. We understand that, right? As Christians, we know we mess up. We do, but we can come back. And that's what's important, right? God is a forgiving, faithful, and righteous God. So to the perfect, he says, have this attitude. Oh, back to chapter 2. What attitude? Like Jesus, right? Have an attitude of Jesus. Have this attitude. uh, And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard. Sounds like the Old Testament now. Remember the standard of which the pattern. God gave you a pattern to live by. Live by that same standard, that same pattern, that same tested pattern and standard. Keep living by that. Don't fall for this new teaching that you can still go down to the Temple of Diana. You can't, right? You cannot. We have to live in the flesh and in the mind uh, for Jesus. So keep that, that same standard, if you will, to which we have attained. So goes on in the chapter, verse 17 and following, saying, follow this walk, right? Keep walking for Jesus. Keep walking for Jesus. And then he walks us right into chapter 4, right? Chapter 4, uh, Yodia and Syntyche are having some issues uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, he says, hey, resolve that problem. Help them out. Those are also true comrades. So now, back to the perfect, right? Even though they're struggling, he says, don't worry about it. Let them work it out. Help them work it out. It's going to be all right. And then, Y'all keep working in unity uh, after Jesus and then find that reason to rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 of chapter 4. Right? And then to do that, it means we have to have some um, putting up with. Right? Forbearance. Got to put up with some stuff, right? Let your forbearing spirit, verse 5, be known to all men. The Lord is near. So you got to put up with some stuff. When they say the Lord is near, um, and you think it's been almost 2,000 years, what what does that mean to to us, right? The Lord is near. I think we're counting it um, improperly. I think when we think about the Lord is near, and you go, well... He hasn't come back yet. No, but something continues to change over and over and over again. Every single day, people are dead. The Lord was near. The Lord is nearer today for each one of us than he was yesterday. Right? So he's talking about two things. Number one, yeah, he's coming back. Right? He's going to destroy Rome. All that you read in Revelation, all that is going to happen. But even greater than that, your, your death is, is imminent. Right? So you keep walking 
You keep, you go, how long is this going to go on until you die, maybe? You know, how long will the Romans be in power? Maybe until you die. But the Lord is near. You just hold on to Jesus. Keep walking for Jesus. Find the reason to rejoice. And the only way to do that is you've got to be willing to put up with some bad stuff. So that's what it says, again, in verse um, 5, let your forbearing spirit just just put up. So great examples of putting up with stuff. Uh, wives put up with their husbands. Wait, that's the wrong way. Yeah, right? Put up with it. You got you to gotta put up with some stuff, right? If you can do that uh, in Jesus. Okay, so now we get down to the real, the meat of all the stuff that we're thinking of here. Now that we know all this, right? Now that we know all of this, that chapter 1, to live is Christ, dies, gain. You know, we get all that. There's, a, there's an amazing reward waiting for us. That's in verses 21 and following of chapter 1. There's an amazing reward and in this life and the life to come. Right? Chapter 2, don't be selfish. Right? Live like Jesus. Do, do what Jesus did. He came, he gave us an amazing example, and he lived, and he died, was buried, and he he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And even though it looked terrible in that day, it was all part of God's plan, right, for us. Wow. You start wondering, God, wasn't there another way? No. No, because see, some Christians are going to die terrible deaths, right? Some of the Jews died terrible deaths. Non-Christians are going to die terrible deaths. So Jesus took on the worst of the worst. In that day, to give us the confidence to hold on. Right? So you hold on to Jesus. And then, chapter 3, he gets into all that matters is Jesus. And when you are faced with trials, remember what you know. Don't let go of your faithfulness and your trust in God based on what you know. Right? You've got that real knowledge, that true knowledge. And then, chapter 4, when the Romans knock on your door, Live by faith. When you say, I, I don't know if I can go to worship today because um, I just got a feeling the Romans going to be there. Be anxious for nothing. Go to worship. No, I, the Romans are going to go to worship. Let me, let me tell you how much you love God. We already know that. I know. You know, even though they have all this active shooting, and it's kind of simmered down a bit, but Church members kept going to worship, right? I know there's some who, who did not. And I know we could say, well, it didn't, it didn't happen in Alaska. It didn't have to happen in Alaska. No one knew when it was going to happen. But you all kept coming, right? We kept coming. That's what the Romans, they thought they could infiltrate the church. They thought they could get those folks to stop worshiping, but they couldn't. It just grew. It grew. I wonder personally in my mind, like, what would I say if I, I was in that day Someone knocked on my door, or I met him at wherever, and they said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Jesus, isn't that, isn't that that illegal religion? Yes, yes it is. Well, I don't, I don't know if I want to talk to you about that. That's, you know, I hear you can get, you know, you'll be executed if you become a Christian. Well, yeah, you, you could, but uh, don't worry about it. You'll be all right. You get to go to heaven. Heaven? Well, what's heaven? I don't, what do you mean? What is this? I mean, how would I have handled that in that day? Would I have turned the guy in? You know, this guy's coming to talk to me about Jesus. Or would I have surrendered? You know, I don't know, right? I wasn't, I wasn't there. But I sure can ask myself today, 
How do I handle my Christian walk today? Am I living a life that is riddled with anxiety? Or do I have this measure of faith that says everything is going to be all right? right? It's tough. Easier said, right, in good times than done in bad times. And so what, what's God's answer? Do it in the good times. It'll make it easier in the bad times. By faith. Right? And by faith means um, it may take me home, whatever that struggle is in my life. And that's good. Paul says, that's good. That's, that's wonderful. It may leave me here. If it leaves me here, there's a reason, there's a purpose in Christ. So what's left to worry about? Right? He kind of solves it all in the letter of Philippians, in the Philippian church. Hold on to Jesus. If you get to go home early, praise God. That's great. That's gain. If you have to stay, that's all right too. That's Jesus. It's going to be all right. What's in the middle? <laughs> Living, right? You just have to live and do all that you can. So be anxious for nothing. Verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, so I'm praying to God, and I'm making my, my appeal to God, but not without gratitude. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving does something to the mind, right? Gratitude that helps it to transform to be better than it's ever been before. Like, you know, when you start saying, you know, wow, thank you, Jesus. It just does something, you know, just even utter the words, right? And then when you really count something, when you count that thing that, that, you, that you have accomplished or wherever you are, and you say, thank you, Jesus, that, that is to be grateful to God is... It's so amazing when you say it in your prayer, you're reminding yourself of where you've been, right? And how did you get here? Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So in this, in everything, just be anxious for nothing. I, and, and so I know this big question about being anxious and being concerned. You know, what's the difference between the two? And um, we, we're all concerned. We're supposed to be concerned but in your concern, you got to give it to Jesus. That's how you remove your anxiousness, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said that, right? You're going to have enough stuff today to worry, to deal with. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Well, will it take care of itself? Jesus said it would. So I believe it. How? Doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't really care. I can't control it. I can't stop it, right? If it's going to happen... It's going to happen. We just live for Jesus today, right? Just live for Jesus. And I look around and I see so many, you know, younger members and older members. Not too many younger, but more older. Y'all, y'all made it through. I'll be all right, right? Y'all all right? Ken might not be, but everybody else is okay, right? <laughs> We're gonna make it. We're gonna be all right, right? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Um, but in everything. So whenever you have time to be anxious about, you have time to do what? Pray about. Right? So instead of spending all your time worrying, spend all your time praying. You know? Say, but that might be all day. Well, then let it be. Right? Let it be. It will take away that anxiety. You know, I, I don't want to be anxious anymore. Why? It takes up my whole day. Okay? Why does it take up your whole day? Because i got to pray all day long. Keep on praying. 
Guess what it says? Listen to what it says again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, all that stuff you, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And amazing things happen, right? Amazing things happen. Doesn't mean we're not going to, we might die. That's okay. That was God's answer. Is that all right? If that's God's answer, is that okay? It should be okay. It's God's answer. Paul said it to us in chapter one. He says, this is the way it might be. That's okay. But I don't want, it's not, a, <laughs> I don't want, I, Lord, I don't like, no, God, your will be done. God, your will be done, right? Whatever it is. I'm thankful for where I've been. Here I am. Uh, all these years on this earth, look at where I am. God, you brought me a mighty long way. Thank you. Here we are. We just, we just keep going. Verse seven. And the peace of God. And here's that, here's that word that Jesus says in Luke, um, what is it? Four, uh, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, but the peace I leave not like the world. Right? That, that's kind of like this idea of peace of mind in a chaotic world. It reminds me of, uh, though I, um, I mean, to find myself, as you will, Psalm 23, in the valley of the shadow of death. What was that? What was he doing? He was eating and eating in the middle. He's sitting down on a table. Now prepares a table. In the, right in the midst of my enemies. And kind of hard to eat in the midst of your enemies. But you know what? He was just fine, wasn't he? Because God is my shepherd. Right? All this goes together. All of this, it just combats worry because God truly is in our lives. So God didn't wind the world up and let it go. God is specifically and particularly in your life. And he says, let me tell you how much. I know when a hair follicle falls from your head. But who's interested in that? Right? Well, God is. He says, that's how well I know you. Every sparrow, every bird falls from the sky. None of them fall without me knowing. Don't worry about your life. I know everything about you. Wow. That's great, right? That's exciting. Because I know God, ha- I know God has me. Right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And when it's time, I can't change it. Right? We do all that we can. That doesn't mean we don't go to the doctors. I'm not talking about that. But when it's time to go, not even the doctors can save us. Right? Not even modern medicine can save us because it's our time. So he says to us in this, in this powerful, impactful piece here, the peace of God, the peace of God, which and here's the part that makes it unexplainable because it surpasses all comprehension. We don't get it. We can't figure it out. You're not supposed to. Right? That's a God thing. Only God has that. So that I want to give it to God so that I can participate in this peace in a chaotic world that surpasses all comprehension. And it was that peace that brought the Romans and other people to Jesus. And they sat down and studied the Bible like we do today. And they were baptized. And they went home and told folks they were baptized. They told other people they were baptized. And some of them were, were killed for it. And others were not. And the church every day was growing and growing and growing. And wow, still here today. Right? Can't stop it. How is it? Well, because God promised. It would never go away. And here we are, and God is watching over us as he always has. And he says, if you trust me, I'll give you, 
a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And that verse continues and says, and shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'll guard you. I'll protect you. I've got this. Can I, can I do it? Can I, is it possible for me to have this kind of faith? And, and he says down in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Okay, now, closing, the check and balance. Verse 8. What are you thinking about? Right? Now that you have all this knowledge, you go back and read Philippians, and he comes down to finally closing out and saying, think about all this good stuff nobility and righteousness and, and all the things that God wants you to think about. Right? So if you go read that, um, verse 8 and verse 9, it'll be a blessing to you, as it always is, reading the Word of God. Thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it. God bless you. Um, next week, um, we start with another uh, series, and that will be Russ, who will be teaching our Bible class. But thank you for blessing me. I appreciate it. We're all dismissed.